everybody. Um, this is Lonnie. Before we get into our discussion of Double Meat Palace, I just kind of wanted to sit down and have a little bit of a chat with you guys. Because um, I'm struggling with something. We are getting into uh, some really difficult uh, conversational space um, here with, uh, with Double Meat Palace. We have a female presenting demon. Uh, older, who has a, uh, what is essentially a penis grown out of her head. Now, prior to this watch, I had always seen it as kind of like an eel. I used to call her Lamprey Lady. Um, but then it was pointed out to me sometime recently that no, actually, it's a penis. And I think there's really strong textual evidence for that being the case. Um, and now I cannot, uh, I can't unsee it. Right. So, um, so the thing is that, uh, that I, 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 I'm editing this right now. I'm actually stopping in the middle of the edit to talk to you. Because as I'm editing this, I'm feeling so uncomfortable. I'm feeling on such shaky ground because I know that there's so much about gender that's just made up and there's so much about what is male and what is female and, and what even that means um, that is really, really needs to be questioned, you know, but I haven't questioned everything in this area yet. Um, I'm still working on my understanding. And as I listen to this, I find myself uncomfortable about everything I say, because I'm not sure what's ignorant and what's not. Um, I'm not sure what could be harmful for people to hear and what's not harmful for people to hear. So I just wanted to put a message up front, which I don't usually do. Usually I just say, I let myself say whatever I'm going to say, and I take my lumps. If somebody has a problem with it and they care to correct me or get mad at me or whatever, then I take my lumps. You know, I learn from the experience and I go on from there. Um, but I don't know about you, right? This, the last eight months, nine months, is it nine months? Jesus. Um have been really, really hard. It's been hard on everybody. Um, I try to make my work here at uh, Chipperish Media a place that people can go to and feel better and just love on the stories that they love and all of that. Um, and I get very upset when I think that anything that I might say might be something that could make somebody feel worse, right? Um at the same time, I don't want to not talk about things. I don't want to pretend that this is not a feminine presenting older woman with a big penis with teeth growing out of her head. I mean, oh, my God, just from a standpoint of discussion, there is so much to unpack there, right? And I want to unpack it. And so I did. And Noelle is always kind and lovely and wonderful. But also, it is not their job to correct me any more than it is your job to correct me. Um but because I'm, I feel so insecure about the things that I believe. I mean, good God, I'm a woman. There's things the culture has made me believe about me and my own experience that is bullshit. And I still think it's true. I still believe it in some poisonous part of my soul. And I'm working on that. Um, but things that I don't have personal experience with, God, there's so much. Um so this is not really necessarily a pre-apology in case I say anything wrong that I won't be held accountable for. It hold me fucking accountable. Absolutely. What it is, is just an expression of love and respect and gratitude for each and every one of you in your beautiful individuality. Um, and I wouldn't ordinarily do it, but we're all so tired. We've all been through so much. 
And I don't ever, ever want to be a thing that makes you more tired or hurt in a time where everything is exhausting and hurtful. So we're going to go ahead into this episode. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you accept my love. And um, I'm sorry if I say anything dumb. (laughs) All right, let's go. Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar with the large upper arms, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert who half the time has no idea if she's even maiming the right guy, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Double Meat Palace, the 12th episode of season six. Double Meat Palace aired on January 29th, 2002 and was written by Jane Espenson and directed by Nick Mark. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full spectrum Buffy podcast. So if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that and we'll work another eight hours. Right after these eight hours. The workers are the tools that shape America. So let's go on patrol. In Double Meat Palace, Buffy gets a job at the local fast food place, Double Meat Palace, where she is forced to watch a corporate video touting the meat process of combining a cow and a chicken to make the double meat burgers. Like how the cow and the chicken come together even though they've never met. It's like Sleepless in Seattle if if Meg and Tom were like minced. Buffy goes to work and begins to notice that everyone there is dead inside and a lot of workers just disappear and never come back. Meanwhile, the manager at Double Meat is acting weird and tries to keep Buffy from snooping around. When everyone comes in to get burgers and support Buffy in her new job, she tells them her suspicions, but Xander poo-poos. It's fast food. I've swum these murky waters, my friend. There's the assorted creepiness, there's staring, there's the enthusiastic not showing up at all. (laughs) I think you're seeing demons where there's just life. Later that night, Spike shows up and tells Buffy that the job is beneath her. If she needs money, he can get her money. She says she has to go help Gary with the fries. You're gonna get out of here. This place will do stuff to you. Later that night, Gary gets killed in the alley behind the Double Meat Palace. When he doesn't show up the next day, Manny, the manager, doesn't seem too worried about it. Buffy tries to get what the secret meat process is from her co-workers, but no one will be specific about what the meat process actually is. Meanwhile, at Xander's apartment, Anya's old vengeance demon friend, Halfrek, shows up and is about to annihilate Xander when Anya clears up the misunderstanding. She summoned Hallie for the wedding, not vengeance. Hallie isn't so sure. So, um, you're marrying that man with the large upper arms? Why? Well, because I love him. Hmm. We're going to be very happy together. Hmm. Back at the Double Meat Palace, Buffy has dead-eyed wall sex with Spike out by the dumpsters. So that's not as good as the last wall sex we saw them have. At home, Willow's just hanging out, minding her own business when Amy shows up wanting her rat cage for nostalgic purposes, I guess. While there, she questions Willow's choice to stop doing magic, then doses Willow up with magic without Willow's consent. Amy... It's a gift. At work, Buffy finds a human finger in the meat grinder and decides that the special meat process at Double Meat is that they grind up people and serve them up as burgers. It's a bit of a leap, but the episode is running out of time to make it Soylent Green reference, so... This is a meat layer! It's definitely people! It's people! It's people! Probably not the chickeny part, but who knows? Who knows? 
Buffy gets fired, but before leaving, she grabs a burger and brings it back to the magic box for evaluation. Willow shows up, a little twitchy from all the magic that's been sparking off her, turning pencils wobbly and destroying a lamp, and is ready to evaluate the burger to see if it's people. But Xander accidentally ate the whole thing. Willow goes to work with the remnants of the meat on the wrapper and her chemistry set. Meanwhile, at Xander's apartment... Who told you that it isn't easy to love you? Well, you know, I'll do something or say something and... And he has to say stuff like, observe, here's how a real human would behave. Oh, so he corrects you? Well, no, it's just, well, no, I mean, now I'm all confused. I mean, what, do, you, do you think there's something wrong with, with the way he treats me? Do you? While Willow discovers that the meat is actually vegetables at the magic box, Buffy goes to investigate at Double Meat Palace. She finds Manny's severed foot and then gets attacked by an older lady customer whose head turns into a giant penis with teeth she, uh, she spurts some kind of paralytic on Buffy and bites her, saying how juicy and sweet all the double meat employees taste. Ugh. <laughs> so gross. Willow busts in, saves the day, and castrates the penis-headed demon lady. The next day, Buffy goes back to Double Meat Palace to turn in her stuff, but mentions the vegetables to the new manager, who hires her back if she'll keep her mouth shut about the fact that double meat burgers are not actually meat. At home, Amy shows up and Willow confronts her about what she did. If you really are my friend, you better stay away from me. And if you really aren't, you better stay away from me. So um, here we are at Double Meat Palace, um, and I'm going to, you know, share a little bit with you. Uh, I have always hated this episode. I have always ranked it at the very bottom of my Buffy ranked list. You know, this imaginary list I have where I've ranked them. I don't like ranking the episodes. So I don't do that, but I've never liked it. Um, and the more I watch it, the more I like it. But I never like it very much <laughs> which is how it turns out I appreciate some of the things that they do on every watch I usually find something new and interesting to talk about uh, but yeah it's it's not a favorite of mine and so I'm kind of curious how you feel about it ah uh, well <laughs> I feel like I should start us off with a joke okay mm -hmm. what just because I can, because I love this okay. joke and I look for opportunities to tell it. And this is a great one. So I love it. Lonnie. Yes. What happens when you cross a brown chicken with a brown cow? Noelle, I don't know what happens when you cross a brown chicken with a brown cow. What happens? Brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> I've never heard that joke before, but it is so on brand for you that that makes it even funnier. <laughs> it, is, it is extremely on brand for me, yes. and it is mm -hmm. extremely on brand for the sleepless in Seattle meat process. Yes. And I don't know. I don't know. I just mm, I, I had to yeah. do that because in yes. part because this is an episode I used to like a lot. Um, oh, yeah. And I mm -hmm. say it's a meat process about all kinds of things <laughs> all the time. Um, it's one of my favorite non sequiturs. Uh-huh. And then I watched it this time. <laughs> and I saw a bunch of things that I had never seen before. Wow. And it just bummed me out so hard. 
I mean, one so of, we have an actual reverse. We have process a reversal. Here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, one of my notes literally yeah. said, "This episode is such a bummer. This is some classist bullshit." Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, there's all of that stuff in there. So let's go ahead and get started talking about Double Meat Palace. Now, one of the first things we open this with is like Anya's discussion of supervillains, right? They're talking about the trio. Right. From last week's episode and gone, we have identified our trio. It's Warren, Jonathan, and Tucker's brother. Exactly. Right? So we've got all that, right? Yep. Um, and then we have Anya's whole like thesis on the functioning of a capitalist society, which of course, while it ignores any value that is not strictly financial, which is what capitalism does, crushing human value in its in its process. But um, it's interesting how she relates that to supervillainy and the pursuit of unearned power. And the thing that I find really interesting is that the very phrase, the pursuit of unearned power, indicates the earning in the pursuit. But the thing is, the pursuit is all about the shortcuts to power, you know, yeah. which is what they're doing. They're stealing the diamond and they're making the thing. Um, but it's it's interesting because there are skill sets involved for all of them like Warren does have this scientific knowledge this ability to build you know invisibility rays and sex bots that look exactly like Buffy or whatever you know um, he does have skill sets that bring him that power um, you know Jonathan knows how to summon things and and you know do magical um effects. Uh, Andrew knows how to summon demons, all that kind of stuff. So they do have like skill sets, but it is this like this sense of unearned power. They want more power than they are due based on the skill sets that they have. So they try to find this sort of shortcut to it. Mm-hmm. Um, in this very episode where Willow is contemplating the consequence of using her power inappropriately. Um, the thing about these guys, the supervillains, is that they they live without, they live in a world without consequence. They don't experience consequence. Consequence falls upon other people. The only time they care is when consequence hits them. And that doesn't happen until much later in the process. So they're causing all of these problems without really looking and seeing how that's going to land on them in the future. And these guys are all about these shortcuts to power. And uh, so I, I love Anya making this whole argument in the beginning about supervillains unearned power. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I love I mean, the the capitalist angle, maybe not so much, but I love right. mm-hmm. I love Anya's take on things just yeah. in general. Like I love her perspective on the about world things. Yeah. And the yeah. way she lays it out in the, mm-hmm. you know, hard work is important mm-hmm. sense. I'm like, well, yeah, like, hell yeah. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but it isn't. It's a really interesting point about what part of what makes supervillains villains mm-hmm. is that it's not only misuse of power, it's mm-hmm. also disproportionate power. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, I think that is going to be an ongoing discussion, especially about the trio and what they're trying to do and then what they end up doing and how that goes mm-hmm. for them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I love I love this as an opening to this episode. Yeah. I think it's really, really fun. Um, and then okay, like I'm gonna I'm gonna kinda skip ahead a little bit. Because <laughs> sure. This was the thing. Like every time I watch this episode, I see something new. Now I'm going to say that I did not see this on my own. Um, and now that I've seen it, the fact that I have failed to see it all this time, uh, I have prior to this watch always referred to the demon in this episode as the lamprey lady, right? Yeah. Because uh, she looked like an eel. 
to me, like the way the the demon's elongated body and all of that totally. kind of stuff comes out of her head. Yeah. So, um, but I was recently it was recently pointed out to me by Ian Martin, a passion of the nerd, um, that this is a penis demon right um to the point and i was like no right and he's like yeah it's a penis and then he sent me this picture and he was like okay first of all there's veins all up and down this very long shaft and i'm like oh yeah and, and you see the head at the top i'm like oh yeah and he's like and then she she spurts out this white stuff at buffy that I said, oh, yeah, it looks like ejaculate. Right. Okay. So that's three uh, things on which I absolutely have no argument. And now it is one of these things that now that I have seen it, I cannot unsee it. It is a big penis. Yeah. Oh, right? my God. And I mean, that is that's such a bummer, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, for a number of reasons, that's such a yes. bummer. So like mm-hmm. one of them is that just there are plenty of women with penises and they're great yes yes and like Mm -hmm. i i hear where this reading is going and i also just like want to make sure that we're not falling into some bioessentialism bullshit that ends up further demonizing trans women like literally in this case um yeah uh, yeah but i don't I uh oh I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I already don't like this demon for reasons that I will get into, but Yeah. But that is is yeah. And no, you're absolutely right. Like there's a whole bunch of this because this is a female coded, not just female coded, but elderly female coded um person with a penis and it's a penis dentata. On top of it, because it has teeth. Now, here's the thing. Um, this is kind of what I found interesting and infuriating about this, you know, this this penis read. And the thing is, is that like I think that there is textual evidence for this is a penis coming out of this this demon person's head and what that says about women, women with penises and all of that kind and of stuff, I think elderly is elderly women specifically and elderly women. And the yeah, like there's there's a whole bunch of like the, the unpacking involved in this. I have only just begun to do. So I am in no way like actually ready to have this discussion. I'm ready to <laughs> start this discussion and to ask questions about this discussion. Um, but there are like when I did a little research on this, there are multiple folk tales from around the world from different cultures all over the place and they've all come up with the same idea the the vagina dentata which is latin for the toothed vagina right totally in which there are teeth in a woman's vagina that will bite off a man's penis emasculating him either literally or metaphorically because he wants her right and this is something this is deep 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 into the roots of misogyny that men had power and they wanted to maintain that power but because they wanted women that gave women a little tiny bit of power and they couldn't handle it so they made this scary vagina dentata you know myth up that traveled the world the vagina dentata has been a thing all right so when you do a search on the vagina dentata right you get a whole like pages and pages and pages about the various cultures and with this which this myth is seen how it's been presented how these stories have been told you know what the overall cultural significance has been you do a search on penis dentata by the way and you get this from the oxford dictionary quote a fantasy of a toothed penis encountered in some women with neurotic sexual fears 
all right, so I gotta I gotta drop a hammer <laughs> on like, this bullshit. Like hashtag relatable, but okay, go exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> all right, so so um, so uh, people with vaginas who fear people with penises, um, penises by the way that have. Uh, raped and assaulted people with vaginas throughout the history like of you know the universe right then having a fear of that is not a normal result of this kind of violation behavior it is neurotic fears however um a person with a penis there i'm trying not to get into all this like you know men and women thing but like the idea that that there would be a fear of of the vagina chomping off their penis and their masculinity that is a completely normal thing to be evaluated and talked about in a million folk tales and intellectually discussed like it's a real thing but it's a neurotic fear when it's women who have it like totally Totally. It's, it's just it's so fucking weird. Well, and and I think that like when we when we unpack like widespread mythology like mm-hmm. this, we really yeah. start to see the the gendered nature of all of it, because I wouldn't mm-hmm. even say I mean, obviously not going to speak for everyone. Right. Just speaking from my sure. little corner under the under the queer trans umbrella. But like. <laughs> I don't even think it's people with penises. I think it is it is it is men in a ooh, okay, treading super carefully now. Like like a men in an almost mythical sense. Like when yes. we talk about when we talk about the power of men to mm-hmm. inflict violence via sexual assault. Yeah. We're not talking about individual men and their individual penises. Like sometimes right. we are. Like sometimes <laughs> sometimes the conversation is very much uh-huh. in individual individual cis men and mm-hmm. you know how they use their bodies as weapons. But I think yes. the cultural conversation that we're having here and part of the reason that you know, talking like making the distinction between mm-hmm. men and women in these like monolithic cultural stereotype metaphor right. almost senses and like mm-hmm. individual people with bodies yes. is both important but also really difficult. <laughs> and really fraught because yeah. there are a lot of ways to to present it um wrong and like first of all like i said i am not ready to have this discussion i'm not ready to make statements i'm ready to ask questions aside from the statement that this whole idea makes me so fucking tired like yeah. i'm just tired thinking yeah, yeah, about yeah. it um i am it's such a difficult thing it's a difficult space to talk about and here we have the combination of a female presenting not to mention older female presenting with a giant penis as a um as a, the 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 demon, the assaultive part of the demon. It's so fucking complex. It's it's really complex if you start breaking it down and talking mm-hmm. about like the cultural myths of, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. vagina dentata or penis dentata or body parts and what does yeah. what to wear. And it's mm-hmm. just 
it's a really, really, uh, it's a really ugly space. And like, I, mm-hmm. I hate this monster. Yeah. Um, I now hate this monster more. <laughs> because, right. Like, I hate it. I hate it more because mm-hmm. looking at it, looking at it as a penis monster, mm-hmm. which now I like based on what you have brought from the text i kind of have to look at it as a penis monster i can't not see it anymore i d- oh i yeah. just it bumps i'm me sorry out. no it's fine <laughs> like see this is this has been my whole experience with this episode though of like now i'm really looking at it and i'm like super yeah. bummed out because mm-hmm. oh because of what that says if this is a penis monster that assaults buffy when she's having this like weird thing non-thing with spike which we'll get to yeah oh we're dear talk god about but um, also like the paralytic you know one of the responses yeah. to assault is the freeze response oh, right so I the very fact like that this penis it. makes buffy freeze with this paralysis i don't like it I, it's it's I so disturbing it was disturbing to begin with before i saw the penis now i've seen the penis I cannot unsee the penis. It's worse. Like it is it really yeah. is worse. And it is worse because it gets us into like we're already in the space of mm-hmm. making an old woman demonic, which I will yeah. go off on in just a minute. Mm-hmm. But if it is a woman with a penis, that is a that is a literal demon trans woman and fuck you very much like no absolutely Mm -hmm. not (laughs) well right because she's not dangerous until she has until we see that she has a penis right like i cannot i know it's like now you can't not see it and it's oh my god and it makes me so angry like that kind of like that level of metaphorical bioessentialism i can't i'm sorry i'm out like it's a fascinating read right? like Doesn't don't get me wrong so like, tired i, I love like, oh my god I i'm exhausted so tired when I, mean, I think about this and everything that's involved in that just like yeah gesturing i'm just gesturing broadly oh, in gender queer yeah. exhaustion now but that's fine oh, no but baby. it is it is a fascinating yeah. read like mm-hmm. and now i can't unsee it thank you ian <laughs> god damn it um i'm also kind of fascinated that i didn't see it but also i'm fascinated that i didn't see it too i went to a different place with it which is the the head monster has always reminded Mm -hmm. me of the xenomorph from the alien franchise oh yeah yeah no definitely which is Mm -hmm. especially with like the squeaking that it does the shrieking kind of it's got like a shrieking eel princess bride kind of thing Mm -hmm. too anyway sure yeah um, but that franchise, the Alien franchise, is about motherhood in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like, in yeah. a lot, a lot of ways that this podcast is not about oh, no. um, <laughs> at all. But that brings me to ageism, mm-hmm. which, is the, which is the reason I thought I hated this monster. <laughs> but no, I hate this monster because it is ageism and transmisogyny yeah. and wonderful uh-huh. wonderful there you go fun times yes. at the double meat mm-hmm. palace the monster okay the monster is literally an old woman and uh-huh. i just cannot even like i i'm mm-hmm. i'm so talk about tired right i'm so tired 
mm-hmm. of this. Like in Gone, we had Doris, the social worker, as the enemy. Yeah. Like we had a middle-aged woman as the enemy. This week, mm-hmm. it's Grandma Eel, the elderly woman who is the monster. And have we ever seen... Okay, let's take a moment, right? <laughs> Up until this point, I mean, we will see women, older women in power who are not demonized at the very end of the series. Like the literal end. At the literal last minute, we do have a group of women who are... But um, in Buffy, the oldest woman that we dealt with so far has been Joyce, who, by the way, maintained that woman knows how to moisturize, right? We have talked so much about how Joyce looks young, how she preserves her youth, Mm -hmm. how beautiful she is. And that makes her still acceptable as a, as a human person, even though we do, I mean, Joyce for the bulk of her time on Buffy is a conflict vending machine. Yeah. You know, we don't really have her as a real character through a lot of that, although that happens with parents a lot, although Giles gets to be a full character. So, you know, do with that evidence what you will, right? Sexism, um, everybody. <laughs> but there's so, there's so, so much. much. And the idea that a woman's value is deeply, deeply tied to uh, two things she cannot control, her youth and her beauty. Yep. Um, those are, are discussions that that require a lot more energy than I have at the moment. But I'm trying to think of an older woman in the context of Buffy who is not youthful and beautiful the way that like, you know, the teacher and teacher's pet was, right? You yeah. know, that we have like well, when the Jenny Calendar Jenny was- Jenny Calendar, like is she uh, even okay, 35? Like is she- She's like 35, but, but presented as an older woman, like in this context when we're doing high schools, Students, yeah. 35 is older, That's right? What I, well, also women become invisible after 35. Like Women it's, become invisible, it's yes. Like you just uh-huh. you get up to, you get mid-30s and it's like you just mm-hmm. disappear and then you're a grandmother. It's We have, exactly, so we weird. have the woman, uh, we have the teacher uh, from Band Candy, yeah. right? Uh, what she calls Willow Little Tree. Yes. <laughs> yep. um, so we saw her, she was a teacher. She was, again, just a background thing you know um but yeah like older women older women in positions of power in uh garnering respect we have um we have almost uh, Gwendolyn Post yeah the female watcher from season three who was also still very young very beautiful and insane with the pursuit of power yeah we have we have a couple of young young ish Young-ish. A young is such a weird word. We have a couple of women who are maybe possibly approaching midlife on the Watchers Council. Um, Yeah. We have, but in terms of like depiction of women over 35, we have the the nurse, the school nurse, who Uh, who is in with the swim coach. Desexualized and and absolutely like presented as, yeah. Horrible. There's the nurse who called and told when Faith was in the hospital to the the mayor in season three. Yep. Who was on the wrong side. She was evil. We've got, we've got an evil-ish nurse in the hospital taking care of the, the brain sucked uh-huh. glory victims 
We've got the lunch lady who poisoned everybody oh in my earshot. God. Yeah, the grotesqueness of that because yeah. oh yeah, I think I went off on that depiction because yeah, fuck that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, okay. So I think that like as we have romped through the right. history of Buffy, There's we have like, uncovered yeah. that this is a thing. I think textually, you make an argument that women who who have lost their youthful beauty to which Joyce holds on with a death grip, right? right? We may have nothing else consistent literally. about Joyce. Oh my God, Lonnie, yeah. literally because she dies before She's she gets killed. old. Yep. It's so fucked up. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, it's like we know the Slayer's short life expectancy is tragic, right? That yes. is Buffy, Buffy is our central character. Part of the tragedy of her story is that she mm-hmm. is expected to die very young. But yeah. it's almost like with this grotesque picture that we get of women over the age of 35, mm-hmm. it's like we're going out of our way to portray a woman's life beyond young adulthood as undesirable at best and monstrous at worst like right buffy's lucky she's gonna die young because what does she have to look forward to to become this yeah exactly like you age Mm -hmm. into an undesirable you know harpy yeah and that is not just a buffy thing that is a cultural thing i mean this is yeah that's a Mm -hmm. mm. This that is, is how a... we see women culturally. Yes. <laughs> that and is, especially uh, women yeah. who are over 40. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I keep saying over 35 because I feel like that is that age, there's an that, age cut off there, but kind of certainly yeah. over 40. Yeah. And I mean, let's let's not forget that Joyce was finally getting some right in her 40s. And that's when she gets killed. She had a good date. Yes. Who was not apparently a robot. Who, yeah, apparently not a robot sent her flowers yeah yeah you know yeah oh fuck it <laughs> yeah no it see it doesn't this episode make you tired it does i'm so well, tired all right i'm yeah. so annoyed because i was like this is a si- like this is a silly espinsonian romp it's got right. some funny mm-hmm. lines in it which it mm-hmm. does like it totally yeah. does but i'm watching it through this time and i'm like yeah. Oh shit! This is about yeah. classism. Like it's ageist, oh, but it's yeah. really about class. I was glad you picked up on that because I thought I was being oversensitive. I no. was like, am I being oversensitive to this? I mean, yeah. maybe we're both be- maybe we're both being oversensitive, but like it. I don't think stuck so. Out at me. Yeah. So hard this time, and it like it. It's staggering, and I'm ashamed that I didn't see it before. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But. So, okay, so the setup for this whole, mm-hmm. the whole reason for the double meat experience is that Buffy needs money. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. really like her answer, her honest mm-hmm. answer that yeah. goes over with Manny, the manager, like a lead balloon, but her honest <laughs> answer to why she's working a fast food job. Like, it's great. Right. She mm-hmm. needs, she needs an income right now. Mm-hmm. And this is how you do that. Um, yeah. You know, this is what right. she has available to her. While also being portrayed that this kind of work is somehow undignified. Oh, I shall get there. <laughs> okay. All right. I have my notes. I'm just going to let you do it because uh, you do so much more than I did with it. But yes, it pissed me well, off. Well, I mean, yeah. we were like, I think we were equally pissed on this one. Yeah. This is just, it, yeah. but, but okay. So 
the whole the whole tone, the overall mm-hmm. tone of yeah. this episode is very eerie. It is supposed mm-hmm. to give us the sense of like, you know, the sort of creeping horror. I know you're going to get yeah. into the the 70s the sci-fi references yeah. for mm-hmm. that um, when we get there. And I agree. Like, it is very eerie. The whole Double Meat mm-hmm. Palace environment is eerie. But it's not for the reason that the show thinks yes. it is. Yes. Like, it's, yes. it is mm-hmm. eerie because this is how low-income jobs work for a lot mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. This is a story about class. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Buffy's coworker at the register, who is kind of killjoy because he's trying to keep her from joking, is trying yeah. to keep his job. Yeah. And then he mm-hmm. says, he's talking about how to work the register, and he says a cocker spaniel could do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm suddenly in my in my head about how we look down on people who prepare and serve our food, mm-hmm. but we still eat the food they give us. it is such like it like so many isms when you really start Uh breaking down classism yeah it it, not only is it fucked up and harmful but it like it makes no sense like we make these Mm -hmm. rules so that we can break them almost yeah um and then before we know that the old woman is grandma eel Mm -hmm. that she's you know she's being friendly to buffy because mm-hmm. she has, you know, we, but we don't know, of course, that like she has this fondness for the double meat employees, you know, and that's why she's uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I hate it so much. Um, yeah. But her saying that she could see Buffy working there for a long time mm-hmm. is just friendliness. Right. Out of the, con, you know, out of mm-hmm. this whole this whole monster head situation. Mm-hmm. But the way that kind remark is portrayed is as doom and gloom. Right. Because the worst thing ever would be to work in fast food for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's the message that we are supposed to yeah. take away from this environment and this stranger, like, who we, you know, before we know she's a monster, is just being kind to somebody in the service industry. Like, she's truly just being nice. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, buttering someone up so you can eat them. Not cool. But, like, be nice to people in the service industry. It's not creepy, I promise. Um, Uh (laughs) But almost everyone we meet... uh, uh, sorry. Uh, almost everyone oh, we meet at Double Meat Palace. I'm so sorry. I wasn't going to do no, it. It took me It took me a moment to get it. And then I did. And yes, no, I, that's cute. You know what? You can cut that out. That's fine. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but almost everyone at Double Meat Palace is an example of weird people are probably evil because they're weird. Right. Which mm-hmm. is classist it's also related to the neurodivergent people are dangerous trope yeah mm-hmm. uh, which i oh, just God. this this show i mean this show is not alone in any way but this no. show does really well the weird people are dangerous thing mm-hmm. um yeah you know one of xander's most astute observations is that buffy may be seeing demons where there's just real life Mm-hmm. I will circle back to that comment in a minute. <laughs> yes. And she responds, I didn't say demons. It's just a vibe. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a big proponent of trusting your gut. Mm-hmm. Huge. 
But when the vibe is they're poor, Mm -hmm. no, fuck you. (laughs) Right. The vibe here is minimum Mm -hmm. wage employment. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Spike is right when he says that Buffy is trying a normal job for a normal girl. I think I believe her. I think this is Mm -hmm. a get money quick plan in a way that is responsible and not Spike's. I could get money temptation. I can get you money thing. Yeah. I don't know why, but I find that offer of money from Spike especially chilling. Well, yeah, because you know where he's going to get that money. Uh, He's not going to work for it. Like, he's going to take it from somebody and God knows in what way. I mean, the fact that he has a chip and he can't, like, physically hurt humans doesn't mean he can't do other shit. You know, other evil shit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's that, like, I don't know what he's going to do, but I know what he's going to do kind of thing. And And he has no problem with it. He's not like he's he's I can get you money. It's one of the creepiest parts of this whole episode to me. Um, Oh, God, this part. This episode is so full of creep. It's so full of creep. There's so much. Yeah. But then he says, this place will do stuff to you. This place Mm -hmm. will kill you. And the tone is very much, you're too good for this. And again, with the classic bullshit. Yes. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, it makes me so angry. Um, Especially because there's not anything wrong with any of the people that Buffy works with. This is the old man with the Rice Krispie treats all over again. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. I actually really like Philip, the guy Mm -hmm. who teaches Buffy to use the grill. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Uh not just because he delivers my favorite line. Mm -hmm. It's a meat process. It's a process. (laughs) They do it to the meat. It's so good. Um, I feel some kind of way about the fact that he says process with this little bit of a twang. Um, Because, again, like we're upping the creep factor by dialing up the quote unquote poor whiteness of it all. And I Mm -hmm. do think whiteness is a part of this. Yeah. Well, I mean... Well, notice that there are no the people of color. whiteness of Buffy. Let's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like we've <laughs> yeah. seen like, I mean, I know the bar is in hell, right? But we've had mm-hmm. people of color in the background mm-hmm. more and more in season six. And bar is in hell. I'm saying yeah. this is nowhere yeah. near good enough. But notice that there are no people of color working at Double Meat Palace. Yep. Because in a white supremacist capitalist society, white people working minimum wage jobs gets cast as tragedy. Yeah. Or in this case, tragic creepy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But I was talking about Philip, who I actually really like. Back to Philip. Back uh-huh. to Philip. Mm-hmm. Back to Philip, my my friend who gets coded as mm-hmm. poor white. Not gonna unpack mm-hmm. that. Um yeah. Philip is a great example of the weird dude is creepy dude trope mm-hmm. that I hate mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. The conversation he's having with Buffy is a little unexpected. Like he mm-hmm. doesn't completely grasp some of the generally accepted boundaries for conversations with coworkers. <laughs> but nothing he says, right. nothing he says is predatory. Mm-hmm. In fact, when he says, you want to look inside my ears? <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't sound lurid. To me, Philip comes across as neurodivergent. Sure. Mm-hmm. He's pretty delighted with his ear cleaning kit. And I think that's great. Yes. I think it's great. <laughs> uh-huh. I think yeah. I think Philip, like, I, like, 
the unsung hero of Double Me Palace mm-hmm. is Philip. Yeah. I think he's yeah. I think he's pretty great. And mm-hmm. then we get this whole thing with Dawn on Buffy's job potential. Yeah. And it just drives the classism theme home, doesn't it? It does. Although in a lot of ways, okay, it definitely is on the classism bus. Like we are this whole <laughs> this whole thing. And like just before we get to Dawn, I just want to like co-sign like everything that you were talking about. I absolutely see everything that you're talking about there. Um, what drives me crazy is that we have a system in which a full-time, like we culturally we denigrate people who don't work for a living right who don't Mm -hmm. have full-time jobs and then when they get full-time jobs we denigrate them for having those full-time jobs we use particular jobs within you know um, within especially the food service industry but there are others as well uh, to be code for the people who have this job are lesser and need to work to get further ahead whereas the reality of it is that in a country that does you know supposedly have a system that supposedly according to Anya at the beginning uh, relies upon and values the worker that anybody who has a full-time job should be able to take care of themselves and their lives with that full-time job. The fact that you can have a full-time job and still not have enough to support anybody other than yourself. You cannot support a family on it or whatever. Um, that in itself is a system that is that is built to get people into particular kinds of jobs and then look it down on them because they have those kinds of jobs. All of that to me, like the the idea that somebody can have a full time job and not be respected in that full time job is just offensive to me. Um, so that bugs me. Um, and that's a big part of like culturally how our system works. But I think you're absolutely right in the fact that these are all white people and that white people working this job is viewed as tragic and that we have to have all white people in this job in order to send that message home. That is some extra bullshit on top of the meat process here. Um, But then we get to Dawn. And the thing is, is that yes, Dawn is absolutely saying Buffy will never be anything more. And and how sad that is that Buffy will never be able to, um, you know, to be a lawyer or to be a doctor or to be something in one of these, uh, these industries that we actually, you know, respect for their hard work, as opposed to the other hard workers that we then piss on, right? Right. Um, You know, and that that Buffy won't have the opportunity to do that, because she has the most important job on the Hellmouth, which is being the fucking Slayer. Like, you know, so as far as like Buffy's importance in the world and that Dawn is associating Buffy's importance and happiness with doing something other than Double Me Palace for actual money. Um, that's one thing. I do like, though, that Dawn is looking at Buffy and having empathy for Buffy's circumstance and recognizing the challenges that Buffy faces. Um, I do like her empathy there. You know, I do like that she's seeing things from Buffy's point of view, you know. Um, that's a really but, yeah. good point. Well, and she's yeah. also talking about her own future in that same yeah. conversation. And mm-hmm. the, the sort of you know, the compare and contrast of this is my sister's life, yeah. whereas my life could be very different from hers. And mm-hmm. isn't that like, isn't that a bummer? Which also, again, I mean, you know, I don't know. This gets me into education, too. Yeah. Because because yeah. let's not forget the education is behind a paywall, right? Yeah. A really fucking serious paywall. People like we've got so much student debt and people who go into like there are there are 
There are huge economic factors at play in all of this because that fear of having to work a job that you didn't have to go to college to get is what makes you go into ridiculous amounts of unbelievably crushing and predatory debt in order to not have to work that job. In order to not be poor, because the worst thing you can be is poor. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I don't just mean that in terms of like, you know, this is capitalism and like you will suffer if you're poor, but like you are a bad person if you're poor. Yeah. You are a lesser, you You are are a lesser human. Yeah, you're a lesser human if you're poor. Mm -hmm. Your poverty is a measure of your worth as a human life. Yeah, it's but you know how much money (laughs) there is in student loans from people who go to school and take out all these loans to pay for something that is ridiculous when tuition at, you know, at one of these schools and I work at one of them, like is equivalent to a higher end non entry level full time position annual salary like it's. The whole thing kills me. It's bananas. Like, it's all bananas. It's so terrible and awful and just fucking cruel. And then our fiction is like, (laughs) co-signed. And then the fiction comes in and plays around in this space, which is not a lot of fun. Um, But I do like Dawn's empathy. So, like, I do like Dawn. I like that as a character moment for her. But, yeah, absolutely. You know, and the thing is, is that here she is. She's co-signing exactly what she's the world she's been brought up in. This is what she's been taught. So, you know, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty terrible. So um, double me palace. Like, this is the funny thing is that it, this terrible episode generates so much fucking discussion. It's going to be a two hour episode of still pretty talking about <laughs> because this, this is how we do it on still pretty. There's so every time. Much, every this time. is a suitcase that is fucking packed to the brim with not a lot of fun stuff. And we're pulling it out piece by piece. The next piece I'm pulling out of this unbelievably overpacked suitcase is double meat palace itself as a reference to the 1973 movie Soylent Green. Right. Yeah. Um, so the movie Soylent Green takes place in the year 2022. So if you thought 2020 was a wild ride, hold on to your fucking hats, people. Uh, In this movie, we're in a post-apocalyptic future in which overpopulation and climate change combine to create a food shortage. And Charleston Heston is investigating uh, Soylent Industries, which controls the food supply by making these wafers, right? One of the wafers, Soylent Green, is made of humans. And he discovers this in his investigations. And during the movie, we have this whole scene where he's making this discovery and he's in the past. The plant. And he says, Soylent Green is people. And he's being treated as insane. People are dragging him out exactly the way that we have this referential scene in Buffy. Mm-hmm. And um, what we discover at the end of this episode is that Double Meat Palace is actually not the bad guy here. Uh, they're just using vegetables to parade as meat, which is basically the Impossible Burger, which everybody was making a big fucking deal about last year. Right. Um, but we are treating Double Meat Palace with its creepy dead-eyed staff and the fact that people just disappear and never come back is some kind of evil place when in fact the people there are all victims you know just basically snacks for the penis dentata demon uh you know who i think maybe we should just call her grandma eel and just not go back there but anyway um so the thing is like from a story perspective uh there's a few things that i i really don't care for here one is we're being misled throughout like if you go back and you watch the whole thing over again right 
right? Knowing what you know, Mm -hmm. you realize that a lot of this stuff is just flat out lies, like the ways in which all the people are creepy. So that means that they're in on it. They're not in on it. They're victims. They're being eaten and unmourned. Nobody cares that all these workers have gone missing. These people like that's the thing, like actual literal disposable people that we've got here working in the fast food industry. So we've got that again. Um, But also like the thing I don't like about it is that the reference itself is overwhelming the actual text of this as a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode. Um, you know, we've had references before with the cinematic fairy tale of Hush, but that didn't overwhelm the Buffy world. It was brought into the Buffy world. And the same thing with Once More with Feeling, where we have this very cinematic 1950s musical kind of feel uh, to that episode. Uh, but these episodes still feel like Buffy. And this episode doesn't feel like Buffy to me. It's working so hard for the reference. I mean, right down to the Buffy screaming, it's people, it's people being dragged out, right? Right. Well, maybe not the um, chicken part, <laughs> but who knows? Maybe not the chicken part. We don't know. Um, I mean, it's funny, but it is so working that reference. Yeah. It feels like it ceases to be an episode of Buffy and instead becomes a Buffy flavored reference rather than a reference flavored episode of Buffy. And that's another thing that has always bugged me about this episode. Yeah. No, that's a really excellent point that it's working so hard to mm-hmm. do this. It's working so hard for this one thing and for the twist that is not the twist. Yeah. That it doesn't hold up. And when you go back and watch it again, you it it's just a bummer. Like it's just mm-hmm. all misleading and and unpleasant and not in the way that it intends to be. It is oh God, yeah. This episode ugh. I mean, and the thing is, is that like, I've always hated this episode. And then I come back to it and I see things that I actually think are kind of fun. Like when we get to talking about Anya and Halfrek, which I absolutely love in this episode. Um, But before we've got a we've got a couple more raunchy things to pull out of this suitcase. Um, (laughs) So one of the things that I've come back to in season six that I have not enjoyed about season six is this like Buffy in real life, right? You know, um, I have never enjoyed these forays into Buffy as a real world girl with a job and mortgage and bills because it shines such a harsh light on the unbelievably patriarchal cracks in the world building of this show, right? And the fact that Buffy didn't get paid as a slayer pissed me off when she was in high school, but she had her needs taken care of by a single working mother, you know, whose kid was out every night risking her life, right? right? There could have been somebody taking care of them then, but she, but Buffy had her needs taken care of and we weren't really looking at it. You know, it didn't get my attention too much because Buffy's needs were met, you know? But the full copper repipe of season six, you know, smashes directly against these cracks in the world building, revealing like deep patriarchal bullshit, which does not get challenged. It goes unchallenged. We choose to uphold the world building by making Buffy take on, you know, all the responsibility for this stuff that is that should not be her responsibility alone. So the overall classism inherent in the way that fast food works is another Mm -hmm. discussion. We've already had that. So I'm going to set that aside because that's part of it that bothers me about this, too. Um, But what annoys me about these storylines are not that Buffy has to have a day job, but that she has to have a day job when there's a full fucking watchers council employing potential watchers for potential slayers. Remember, Kendra? Yeah. Right. Yeah. She had a watcher before she was called. Right. Yes. Um, but not ensuring that the slayers themselves have any sort of financial security and also, you know, killing them at the age of 18, because that's when they might start being like, what the fuck? Right. You know, 
Yeah. So when we live in a fantasy world where bills are just paid, you know, as they have been all along, Buffy never questioned the cost to Joyce every time the house was destroyed by demony hijinks until this season, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, then, okay, you know, fine, whatever. It's still bullshit, but everything's taken care of and we're not doing it. Um, but now we're taking the fantasy show out of our fantasy world and applying real world rules to it without applying them universally to things such as the Watchers fucking council, right? You know, Um, so the cost comes fully out of Buffy's hide, you know, without without like putting this reality in through the whole thing. We just apply it to Buffy in this very kind of like macro lens thing, you know, um, without looking at the, the how changing the way this affects Buffy changes the way the whole world works and functions within this fiction. Yeah, it's a huge tonal shift. We go mm-hmm. from we don't really need to think about where the money comes from or where it goes to no, that is actually one of our storylines this season is mm-hmm. where do we get all the money to fix the house that keeps being destroyed by demons and that's just one example (laughs) yeah it's a huge it's a huge 180 yeah and it it is not maybe not that successful i don't i mean it doesn't there you're taking buffy worked on a fantasy space before and then we take away that fantasy space, but only for the circle immediately around Buffy. And the rest of the world still works the same way it did before. Yeah. And it's that cognitive dissonance in season six um, that in some ways, like, I mean, I kind of like, like I've said, that we've got uh, the bad guys who are human. And at the yeah. end, you know, our, our season level bad guy bringing about the apocalypse is Willow, who also is human. Yeah. You know, um, that the idea that there is human evil and that the having a soul does not, you know, uh, protect people from that. I think those are really interesting discussions. There's a lot of things happening in season six that I think are excellent. I really do like a lot of stuff. This is the thing that drives me crazy. You know, yeah. is we're shifting the rules only around very specific places and the rest of it remains the same. Yeah. Um, and I just don't really care for it that much. Yeah. That's I mean, that's a fair assessment. And I'm right there with you. And I also <laughs> think it distracts from the the thing that I love so much about season six, which is all of the growing and changing relationship dynamics Mm -hmm. i'm i will keep saying it until we get to season seven and then i'll think of something else to say but season (laughs) seven or season six is Uh the relationship season yes it's Mm -hmm. about relationships and i'm seeing more and more especially as we talk about buffy and spike how it is Mm -hmm. also about the relationship with oneself um yeah but I'm not quite that is that is a wee baby thought that I do not have notes on. But I mm-hmm. brought up Buffy and Spike. Yes. Shall we go to Buffy and yes. Spike? We should go to Buffy and Spike. There isn't a lot of Buffy and Spike in here. Just just enough to like support this classism and give us some creepy I can get you money, you know, stuff um, that Buffy then, you know, resists. But then we see this moment where I mean, and this is, I think, to me, one of the most disturbing moments in the episode is this dead-eyed sex up against the wall by the dumpsters. Um, it's always bothered me a lot, a part of, partially because um, Buffy is ashamed of sleeping with Spike, 
So sleeping with Spike should be a good fucking ride. Like the fact that she's <laughs> yeah. dead eyed and not even enjoying having sex with him in this moment because the life has been drained out of her by this job, which, of course, again, goes back to discussions we've had before. Of course, like in her whole thing with Spike, where Spike is the one that like, you know, you're better than this, you know, blah, 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 blah. All of mm-hmm. that classism bullshit. We've had that discussion. But yeah, the Spike and Buffy stuff, I, I really hate in this episode. And I don't know, like, what what's your feel about it? I mean... With the the teamwork poster on the wall to the right of them, no less. I mean, come on, come oh on. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. It's a. I I find that I find that moment distressing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I find it distressing for the reason that you just pointed out that she's not enjoying herself. This is not enthusiastic consent. It may be technical consent, but it doesn't feel like enthusiastic. She's like, oh, okay. Yeah. It almost, I mean, she's a little bit turned away from him. It almost feels like get it over with quick. Kind of like there's something and the way it's shot. I mean, it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be uncomfortable. Like this is not supposed to be like a little, you know, romantic, sexy, erotic break from work. Like this is supposed to Mm -hmm. add to the dread and doom and gloom of this whole episode. And I mean, it really does. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I find it, I find it upsetting. I find it a, a possible, but maybe clunky parallel with Willow's recovery storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Willow, you know, Buffy has decided she's not going to, She's not going to have sex with Spike anymore. Willow has decided she's not going to use magic anymore. And then Mm -hmm. they both end up sort of doing the thing they said they weren't going to do, but not really. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> no, it's all it's all disturbing. And there's not that much in there with Spike. So um, I'm, I'm happy to let that go and maybe take us to a happier place, yes. or at least a more hopeful place with uh, with Anya and the visit from her vengeance demon friend, Hallie, Halfrak. also known as Halfrak. Halfrak. I know it's so great. Oh, um, Halfrak. My God. Yeah. <laughs> you guys may have recognized the actress who plays Halfrak, although she is uh, thoroughly veined up. Up throughout this episode uh, but she's the same actress she's Callie Rocha who also played Cecily and Fool for Love and we're going to see uh, that come around again later on uh, in season seven when Spike and Halfrek kind of recognize each other for a split second um, but that I think that like the only reason I don't think that that Halfrek was intended to be Cecily at this point I think mm-hmm. they were trying to get away with something and then when they didn't get away with it and all the fans called them on it they yeah. were like okay so they pulled it into the world building yeah um, but I love this so much. I love that finally someone has textually acknowledged that Xander is kind of a dick. And that question, who told you that it isn't easy to love you, is fucking heartbreaking. Staggering. Right? Staggering. Oh, my God. Yeah. Everyone should be asked that question. Somebody needs get you someone who asks you the questions that Halfrek asks Anya because that is so important I think that at one point in in our lives we should all be forced to ask that question because a lot of people have this sense that they are difficult to love 
And the thing is that in abusive relationships, and we're going to talk a little bit about abusive relationships later when we talk about the reflection between Spike and Amy in this episode. Um, but in abusive relationships, like people convince you that you're difficult to love. So whatever little love they give you, you should be fucking grateful for. And the thing is, is that nobody asks that question. If you don't get asked that question, you don't look at it. Mm -hmm. Anya is now starting to open her eyes with this. And when this happens, I'm like, how much better would Hell's Bells be if she had been the one to walk out on Xander? Oh, holy shit. That is a completely different story. I know. How great would that have been? That is a whole that that. Yeah, that changes everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, it really does. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 So how did you like Anya and Halfrek? Oh, my God. I had completely forgotten mm-hmm. about. I mean, I remembered Halfrek. I had forgotten about her entrance. Oh, holy God, yeah. fucking shit. I mm-hmm. squealed with delight. Yes. She shows up and Xander is just cowed. And then Anya walks into the room like, do to do wedding planning. I think maybe we'll do a potluck. And he's like, um, excuse me. <laughs> I it's love it so much. So good. It's mm-hmm. so good. And like, hell yes. Like, where mm-hmm. is. Where is the friend who asks you those questions? Yeah. Like when she says the friend or the therapist, you you need somebody to ask you that question. Yes. Mm -hmm. But when Mm -hmm. she says, when she says, um, you're marrying that man with the large upper Mm -hmm. arm. And Anya (laughs) says, yes. And she just Uh says, why? (laughs) Doctor's like, oh, okay. Pulling no punches, like no punches, but also like, Abusive relationship or not, mm-hmm. that's a great question. Like it is a good question, and, and everybody should be asked that before they get married too. <laughs> well, and in like, and if you are in a relationship that you would mm-hmm. like to stay in, yeah, ask yourself why, why, and mm-hmm. and you know if you have a partner for whom you feel like love and affection and connection. Tell them why. (laughs) Yeah. Like articulate that, articulate that to yourself and to your friends and to your partner or partners. Like, dude, that is some like next level. You should know the why. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing is that like Halfrek asking Anya that question and Anya being like, you know, thrown off by the why. Yeah, she's so thrown. Right. Like all of us who are in relationships need to be able to look at the person we're with and be able to say, this is why. Yeah. Boom. Like this is why. And and yeah, and that is such an interesting thing that Anya can't really do that. And she's so so by. But I also love what Halfrek can pass like can pack into a hmm. Like, yes. That is so great. Uh-huh. I love that whole thing. I love that whole thing. And it's so great. And Xander, like Xander in this episode, um, in the beginning, when Anya starts talking about everything and he's like, oh, yes, let's hear the money is so great speech, you know, and Mm -hmm. and then Willow says yes, and you'll be hearing it every day for the rest of your life. And the horror look on on Xander's face, the fact that he doesn't appreciate anything about Anya and that everything is something that he has to suffer through. And then when Anya says, you know, he loves me, which isn't easy. That is such a heartbreaking moment. And then to have Halfrek bring her little into that. I love it so much. And Xander's obsession, too, about was Anya veiny like that when she was a demon? Well, what what does it matter? You love her. 
if you love her and she's veiny, then she's veiny. Fucking deal with it, you know? Um, But I mean, all of this, like after all this time living with this like textual rubber stamp that Xander and Anya are good together, that he endures her like a good boyfriend and that this treatment of her is okay. Having it textually acknowledged is what the fuck. Um is honestly one of my favorite things. I love this moment. I always forget it's in Double Meat Palace because I never think well of Double Meat Palace. Um, but yeah, I love this moment now. It's so nice. Well, and it feels more like Buffy than mm-hmm. Double Meat Palace. Like yes, even though Buffy does. is not Buffy herself is not part of this dynamic, mm-hmm. all of the Anya Xander Halfrex stuff feels like an episode of Buffy. To mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Yes, um, it does. Absolutely. So way back at the beginning mm-hmm. of our discussion, I mentioned Xander putting demons and real life in right, opposition yeah. to one another when he weighs mm-hmm. in on Buffy's assessment of her double meat palace co-workers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know we've already unpacked the like giant baggage of this episode. Yes. But this mm-hmm. is like this is like our little carry-on bag, right? Like this right. is our little <laughs> this like fits neatly under the seat in front yes. of you. But let's mm-hmm. take a look at that because he's just put demons and real life in opposition to one another. Yeah. When his fiance is an ex-demon. Yeah. And not just an ex-demon, but an ex-demon who is getting more in touch mm-hmm. with and feeling more connected to her demon past as they're yeah. planning this mm-hmm. wedding, this huge event in their lives. And he's yeah. just in that moment, in this very subtle, you know, like anti-demon microaggression, mm-hmm. really just like right? erases yeah. her from the conversation in a way mm-hmm. that is. Like, really shows, I think, the depth of his lack of care and consideration for her. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I don't know. It's yet another one He's of those He's not things. embracing any of this no. demon stuff with her. Every time she brings it up, he dismisses it. He is erasing 1,200 years of her existence. Yeah. And he wants to know if she looked like that, but then not really. Like, it's yeah. so... Oh, it just... it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no. I mean, he doesn't love her. He loves that she's beautiful and that she loves him. Yeah. He does not love her. That is not love. They're really seeding this breakup. They're really they are doing really it. seeding this breakup. Yep. And they've been seeding it. Like, I've, you know, he has been treating her like this since they got together. I've hated it every moment. And now we're finally getting to Hell's Bells. And a lot of people don't like Hell's Bells because it's so awful. And we talk about how awful Xander is. We're going to get to that. But the the emancipation of Anya Jenkins, for me, <laughs> um, yeah. is pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Um. So, yeah, now let's just keep going talking about abuse. Um, we have Spike speaking and Amy. Speaking of abusive relationships, our favorite topic here on Still Pretty. <laughs> you know, speaking of abusive relationships could well be like the the most frequently used segue on Still Pretty. Uh, we, we do have that. Um, so Spike and Amy, um, one of the hallmarks of abuse, right, is not just that someone does something that hurts someone else, but that they do it while imposing a narrative on that person, which makes the victim feel complicit, like yep. it's their fault that they are enduring the abuse or that they don't have a choice or that there's something essentially broken within them that makes the abuse OK, right, which mm-hmm. is essentially what Anya has 
been led to believe with Xander, right? Yeah. Um, so, but in Double Meat Palace, we see this kind of narrativizing of the experience happening with Spike with Buffy, and then again with Amy with Willow. Um, like Spike with Buffy, he's like a normal job for a normal girl, you mm-hmm. know, insinuating that she is not a normal girl. Yeah. Um, is that the kind of demon that you are? Yeah. Uh, you don't belong here. You're better than this. So Spike's constant refrain is that Buffy is more demon than not, and that she belongs in the dark with him. And we are going to see him when we get to dead things yeah. next week. We're going to see him saying in the dark with me. I hate right? that, that that's scene. Where you I'm, I'm just we're going to putting it down right now. I pre hate that scene <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I pre-hate that scene, but it is resonant with that abusive narrative. Oh, for um, sure. So I kind yeah. of I kind of like the way it's like I hate the moment itself. It's like gross, but like this narrativizing of it is something that Spike is doing with Buffy throughout this whole season, you know? Um, and then we have this thing happening with Amy and Willow. Um, Amy coming in. So this is it. This is gonna be your life. Mm-hmm. Hey, Will, it's your birthday, as though she's giving her a gift. And then afterwards, you're telling me you didn't have a genuine blast. You're you're not denying that you had fun. Yeah. All of that stuff, right? So Amy is trying to get Willow into the darkness with her so she can have a playmate. Spike is doing the same thing with Buffy. And it's actually, I think, a fairly well done reflection of the same kind of relationship dynamic. Of course, at the end, Spike Willow, Buffy is still accepting Spike, you mm-hmm. know, into her life. And Amy is, or Willow is completely rejecting Amy. Right. You know, and we are seeing both of those as being the correct decision because we have this relationship with Spike that we love, even though he's really being abusive in the way that he is managing that narrative with Buffy. Um, but I thought it was it was just kind of like a really interesting reflective abuse that we see happening between these these people in these two relationships oh yeah like and amy like literally projecting her magic into willow like it's a great it's a great parallel Um, yeah i i hate i hate it (laughs) it's it's a violation but it's really super interesting the way they reflect on each other but then we have and this is one of the things that i wanted to throw out to you because i have always seen this as as this has never worked for me this idea of willow being like having almost a relapse or Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. Um, because one of the weakest parts of double meat palace I would say weakest as far as like the writing itself goes. There's a lot of terrible things in here uh, that are societally rubber stamping things that are just absolutely terrible. But this is just like bad writing, I think, is um, this tempting of Willow where we're not actually tempting her. Like as Xander had said last week, relapse is part of recovery, you know, um, and that can be part of that process. And that's accepted. Yeah, you I know? mean, as someone so. in recovery, I take umbrage with relapse as a given. <laughs> But please continue as a given. No, well, no, I don't think that it, it, I think that relapse does not mean your recovery has failed. I think is how I read that, that if a relapse happens, it does not mean that your recovery is over and you're just done. You know, yeah. but like it it can be part of that process um, that relapse doesn't negate recovery, I guess, is how I read that. So I, I definitely understand uh, where you would take umbrage with that phrasing. Absolutely. I mean, so I think I, it's I rephrase. Yeah. Yes. And it's not, you know, and this is like this is not about you and your phrasing. This is about Xander's phrasing when he speaks to mm-hmm. Willow about, you know, right. like mm-hmm. relapse is part of recovery. You can just like come clean and tell us that was, you know, in Gone. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, I don't want to get all like 
12 step with everybody. (laughs) But like, I don't know. I just I don't I don't care for that. It goes back to my little rant about like if you're going to tell a story about addiction and recovery, like please be more nuanced about it Mm -hmm. and don't just kind of like fall back on tropey nonsense without about, thinking about yeah. it right earn the storyline there you right? go yeah sure earn the storyline which yes, is exactly completely. what you are unpacking here with mm-hmm. willow's quote-unquote relapse question mark willow didn't relapse that's right. not what this is we're treating this experience as though she did but she didn't amy gave her magic she wrote it out without ever deliberately using the magic she was given it sparked off of her but she did not will the pencil to become rubbery and mm-hmm. bend you know she did not will the lamp to you know explode or whatever yeah. um and when she has to do the work she doesn't use magic. She uses chemistry. You can tell by how damn slow it is. Right. So also, she doesn't need Amy's magic. She already has magic. She has it within her. It is part of who she is. She can pull on magic anytime that she wants. She doesn't need Amy to throw a spell at her. And then Amy making this argument that like, that was my magic. It wasn't your magic. It was completely legal. Yeah. All of it's bullshit because all of it's Willow's magic. But the thing is, is that she didn't make any choices here except to not use the magic when she had it. Yeah. Which was a choice she was already making because she always had the magic before Amy walked in and blew her up with magic anyway. So this whole thing, she didn't fall off the wagon. She didn't choose, you know, through weakness. She just did the same thing that she does every day, choose not to use the magic. Um, So all of this feels, um, I, I did... When she was talking to Buffy about the experience, about feeling the magic and like yeah. how difficult that was and how shaky she was, yeah. like I felt that. I felt that was like, but I didn't feel like the rest of the episode, the way this was built without giving Willow a relapse. It's telling a relapse story without giving Willow a relapse, without making Willow responsible for any of it. None of it is her fault. None of it is her choice. So... Yeah, and I feel like it we doesn't work for me. I feel like we see that pretty well. Like mm-hmm. I feel like we see her choose not to use her magic. Like we hear that I think it's mm-hmm. Dawn says she goes to get Willow and you know, she's in her like I knocked on her door mm-hmm. but like she didn't answer or something. Like Willow when she realizes that she's been shut up with magic, like hunkers down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then oh god it's so sad when they're at the magic box and she says you go will be good and i'm just like oh honey like she's yeah. she's clearly like she clearly is not having a good mm-hmm. time like she's yeah really actively not using magic and when she's doing her chemistry she's saying mm-hmm. i don't need magic i don't need magic I, like she's doing she's doing her mantras mm-hmm. she's like she's got it going on and mm-hmm. it's because there's so much else going on in the episode i think we don't get to see enough yeah. that the we we don't get to highlight enough that the choice that she makes is to mm-hmm. not use this magic yeah and then her little her little drive through confession just like breaks my heart mm-hmm. when she's like you know, it was Amy's yeah. and now it's gone and I feel shaky, but I feel like yeah. I need it. Like she wants to do it yeah. again and she knows she's not going to. But like mm-hmm. just that desperation of feeling like, yeah, I know I didn't do this on purpose and it's not my fault. But also 
But also it re... But the thing is, like, I don't... She always has magic. Yeah. So it's always in her. Amy doesn't do that to her. Like, you know, so that's the thing I think that... Again, yeah. She always makes this choice every day. She was just continuing to make a choice she already was making. I didn't, but like, I didn't more care so. for it yeah, being a, like an Amy thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She has to, in order for a character, choice is the most important thing that you can do with your characters. If you if you don't make them make a choice, you are not doing the most with your story. If she asked Amy for that hit, if she was like, okay, I've got a, this is a way that I can do it. And it's a side thing. And then, and then if she asked Amy for that hit and then chose not to use it, that would be interesting, mm. but she didn't. Yeah. So like, I, I find that, um, I, the, the part where she's talking into the intercom for Buffy, I feel, yeah. I just don't feel like that is earned by the rest of this story. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Because it does feel a little bit like we still don't quite know what to do with the mm-hmm. addiction storyline. Is it addiction or is it not? And how does it, yeah. How does it all... work? How does it feel? What is she actually going through? All of this, yeah. you know, what mm-hmm. is it that she's struggling with besides everything is slow? Like, right. I, yeah, and, which exactly. is a weird, right? Like, that's a we- and that's a weird angle. Like, getting getting on willow's case about using magic when she has it is like i don't know like getting on thor's case about arm wrestling too hard like i don't know like it's it's like a weird it's a weird weird it never it never really clicks and works this whole magic because no matter what there's it's it's like trying to put a sheet on a bed and the sheet is just a little bit too small like there's always gonna be one corner <laughs> yep. that's not covered yeah you know like you start pulling on these edges yeah, of it, it and then you got another like that. corner that's not covered yeah, yeah it always feels like that yeah. with this magic uh storyline is that you start pulling it in one direction and then you're like nope that doesn't work because of this and then you start pulling that direction like nope that doesn't work because of this and then it just ends up being this this whole thing yeah you know yeah, yeah. and this is such a tiny little note, but it feels mm-hmm. like next level shitty to me that Willow's friends ask her to come to the magic box. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You don't ask your recently sober friend to come to the bar with you, you guys. Yeah. Like, come on. Please, yeah. do, like, please don't do that. Yes. <laughs> please don't do that. <laughs> That's not a... it, it is. But again, because we don't fully explore this as an addiction, because we don't really treat it. We use it as an addiction when it serves us. And when it doesn't, we ignore it, you know, and yeah. that doesn't give you good story juice. It just doesn't. You have to make it work in all the all the circumstances. So, yeah, don't don't invite your recently sober friend out to the bar. Yeah. Don't do it. Have them over. You can eat chocolate. It'll be awesome. Um, <laughs> all right. Oh, after after the vaccine. Okay. So anyway. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. The, everything is. Everything mm. is so horrible. Um, all right. So, Noelle, what's your favorite part of Double Meat Palace? <laughs> it is Halfrek's entrance. Coward, yes. masculine one. Tremble as you face my wrath. Oh, my and God. And then when she turns to Anya. Hello, Uh I am here to tear this man apart. How many pieces do you wish? (laughs) In an episode, in an episode where fast Uh food is almost a character, (laughs) how many pieces do you wish feels especially apropos? 
Yeah. Well played, Espenson. Well That's played. That's Espenson. I'm telling you. She is fantastic. I know this is not one of my favorite episodes. Jane Espenson is one of my favorite writers. Um, and she does have like those moments, the stuff she does with dialogue and with these little character moments is just brilliant. Jane Espenson, I will guarantee, is... Hmm, like she, you know, yes. that's Espensonian. Yep. Absolutely. Um, speaking of which, that's my favorite part. <laughs> like, I love Halfrick confronting Anya with the reality of this situation and also loving Anya and appreciating who Anya is and knowing who Anya is and loving that. Who told you that loving you isn't easy? Or who told you you're not easy to love? Everybody, just fucking ask your friends that question and make them answer it until they f- realize that it's bullshit and that they are easy to love. That's a command. That's a still pretty command. That's I'm a just saying. mic drop is what that is. I mean, bam. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter. Follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now, so thank you to our December producers. Shelly, Kristen, Jonathan, Jonathan, Rose, Erica, Alice, Abigail, and Sarah. And this week's special message for our power producers. It's a meat process. <laughs> Oh, that delivery is perfect. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or choose to be in the consumer service profession. And I'm a consumer. Service me. We will be back next time with Dead Things, the 13th episode of season six. Until then, cower masculine one, tremble as you face my wrath. She says she has to go help Gary with the fries. If you know what I mean. No. If you know what I mean. Something about the way you said that, I was like, yeah, <laughs> Gary with the fries. Sounds no. mildly euphemistic, no. but it's really not. She just had to go help Gary, Gary with, with the, the fries. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs>